You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Psalm 138, verse 1. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look to you, O Lord, and we ask, O Father, that you be pleased to teach us from your word this morning, that you'd be um, pleased, O Father, to touch our hearts with your presence and that we would, uh, with the ears of our heart, hear your voice speaking to us through your word, O Father. Father, we pray that you'd be glorified by taking us and making us more like your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, songs, um, this morning, you know, I've been wanting to do some work in this altar for a while. We've been in John's gospel for a long time, and I, I believe we have one more message in John's gospel, but uh, we have two more verses we haven't uh, done much with in John 21, and I really want to save that. I want to put that kind of on the burner for a little while because uh, at least presently, the way I see that last message, it's going to be a little bit of a recap focusing on the greatness of Christ, where we recap the Uh, much of the entire gospel that we've spent so many weeks studying. And I think it's wise for us to take a little bit of a break because when we come back to it and we do that recap, it's going to help us to really cement some of the things we've learned from John in our hearts. And with the season upon us, I've been wanting to do something in regards to Thanksgiving. And of course, we're entering into a season what the church is historically called the season of Advent. And we always set aside if a few Sundays, usually four, just to look and reflect on uh, God's stepping in time, space, and history in the person of Jesus Christ. And as I've been praying about uh, what approach to take this year, I've been thinking about music and thinking about songs, and the Bible is full of songs. You know, we've just read a song. Uh, The Psalms are songs. They're prayers. They're songs. And I thought we would let the songs take us through Uh, to the first of the year. Uh, We have uh, four songs in Luke's gospel, if you will. Um, Some of you will recognize the Latin names, the Magnificat. How many have heard of the Magnificat, of course? Uh, You've heard of the Benedictus, um, In Excelsis Deo. Uh, There's a hymn, In Excelsis, In Excelsis Deo. It's just wonderful music, and it's a wonderful theme. And nunc diminis, does the, do these names mean anything? If they don't mean anything now, they're going to mean something here, Lord willing, by the end of the season. So I think that's what we're going to do. We're going to start with a song, uh, Psalm 138, which is a, a psalm of thanksgiving. 
And what I'd like to do is just introduce Psalm 138 as thanksgiving we're offering. We're entering into a week of thanksgiving. We're going to give thanks. And we're going to go through these songs and reflect on God stepping in time, space, and history in the person of Jesus Christ. And then, Lord willing, uh, perhaps in the first Sunday of this, of this upcoming year, we're going to return to Psalm 138. And thanks again. So Psalm 138, at least I, I do would like, I would like to reserve the right to change my mind. But as I see it now, uh, Psalm 138 is a set of brackets over these songs, if you will. Does that sound cool? Um, I think it's going to be fun. I think it'll be uh, enlightening. I pray that it is. Now, in Psalm 138, the psalmist says, I give you thanks, O Lord. The first thing you might notice is say, I noticed something about this psalm, Rick, that you talk about all the time. Lord is capitalized, capital L-O-R-D, and we all know what that means, right? When we see those capital letters like that, we know that the word that's being translated is the word Yahweh. They, um, it, it could be translated, I give you thanks, O Yahweh. That's actually what's being said there. And that is the covenantal name. Um, someone say covenantal name. Well, it's the name that God gives Moses, isn't it, at the burning bush, as God is making good on his covenantal promises to Abraham. And we sometimes refer to this as a covenantal name. And we should think of covenant as promise in this context. Our God is a promise keeper. He keeps his promises. And that's part of the context of what we're looking at this morning. The psalmist is giving the Lord thanks. I give you thanks, O Lord. Notice the next line, with my whole heart. So it's not an empty, he's not just reciting a, a, mind, a mindless, empty prayer. Um, he is giving the Lord thanks, if you will, uh, from his heart. The Hebrew word here is leib. It's um, kind of the Hebrew uh, counterpart to the Greek word cardia. Some of us, uh, all of you in the medical field, you know cardia. Cardiology gets its, uh, uh, it owes its uh, word from the, the Greek cardio, uh, cardia, uh, means heart, uh, inner man, uh, soul, if you will. Um, sometimes it's expressed as seat of the emotions or seat of the will. Uh, in modern thought, we have a tendency to think of the mind, and we make a sharp distinction between the mind and the heart. Like um, we can get some truths in our minds, but we don't quite, don't yet have them in our heart. And sometimes you'll hear people say, "Well, to the ancients, those distinctions weren't there at all." I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think as I've grown, and I think I've grown that I think it's helpful for us sometimes to make that distinction because it is possible to have a bunch of knowledge in your heart or knowledge in your head and not have it in your heart. That is indeed a possibility. You can go and enter the finest seminaries under the sun and study all of the theology and get A's on all the exams and not have Jesus in your heart. Your head can be all full of information. That is a possibility, and it's something that we want to always be on our guards about, especially those of us who really like theology and like to study uh, theology. Theology should always lead us to worship. You know, it should always be leading us to worship the Lord. When it's doing that, we can be rest assured that it's reaching the faculties of our inner being. It's reaching the seat of our emotions. It's reaching the seat of our wills, if you will. And the psalmist here, he's saying, Lord, I give you thanks. 
with my whole heart, with my inner being, with, with all of my faculties, uh, with everything that I have, Lord. I am an open book. We've been talking about that lately, haven't we? I'm an open book before you, Lord, with everything that you've given me. I give back to you uh, thanksgiving. And this next line, I want to spend a good bit of time with the next line because I think if we have any questions about Psalm 138, it's going to come with the words, before the gods, I sing your praise. What does that mean? Before the gods, I sing your praise. Now, the the word gods here is a word we've probably all heard before. It's the word Elohim. You know, how many have heard Elohim before? Um, you know, you, you, you hear that word, and it's used in Scripture uh, nearly 3,000 times, uh, which is a lot. If you're ever wanting to learn the original languages, a good way to go about it is to go in order of word usage. That's a popular way of teaching la- all languages, really, but especially the ancient biblical languages, like if you're wanting to learn Greek, well, learn chi. It's the word for and. How often does and come up in the New Testament? Well, every time it comes up, you got it. You, so you're going to at least recognize Kai everywhere. Then learn Amen, which is Amen. And you can learn some of these words in a handful of words, and you're going to start recognizing some Greek um, here and there. And it, it's, it's helpful to do that. If you want to do Hebrew, learn Elohim. You only need to read three words in the Hebrew Bible, the first three words in the Hebrew Bible, Barashit bara Elohim. So there you've got Elohim as the third word. Um, and an interesting thing about that, um, Elohim can be translated God with a capital G, uh, and that's the most, most of the usages. It is translated God with a capital G. And what's interesting about Elohim is it's a plural noun. So I'm going to say a plural noun. Yeah. If you go to Genesis 1 and you read the words barashit, bara Elohim, bara is the verb there, barashit, in the beginning, bara created. It's actually a third person masculine singular. What's that mean? It means we would translate bara as he created. He created, if we were just translating Barah by itself. But yet it is attached to a plural noun. Now, that's really interesting because the Hebrew Bible is very emphatic that God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, right? God is one, yet Elohim is plural. Now, what is that teaching us? Now, some of you are already on it, aren't you? Well, it teaches us about the plurality of God's majesty. That's one thing that it teaches us about. But it also is giving us a little bit of a clue that within God, there is a multiplicity of personhood, isn't there? Namely, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, isn't there? What a great mystery. Elohim. And Elohim is used for God. Um, just to give you a kind of an update, I, I kind of want to keep you updated on the, on the computer thing. You know, you so graciously, you, the, the gift that we received last month was so gracious and generous. I feel I should give you an update on that. I've always wanted to experiment with, with um, a Mac, a Mac computer. And um, 
somebody, not to mention any names, has donated, has given me a used MacBook which has been so much fun. I mean, I've, I've forced myself, I've, I've set the PC aside, and I said, okay, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try the best I can to write the next couple of sermons with this MacBook. And, um, of course, the, the search for software, I have to replace BibleWorks, and the, the, the search for software has kind of led me down to probably two choices, either Logos or Logos, depending what part of the country you're from. Um, or, um, yeah, Crick or Creek, right? Um, or um, Accordance. And I'm currently leaning towards Accordance. And I share this with you because if you're into this kind of thing, and I know some of you are, you can go to Accordance and you can, for $19.25, and I, I'm not paid to say this, by the way, $19.25, you can download a basic starter package that is really pretty impressive for what it is. Only $19, it's not sufficient for what I do, but it would, you know, I was, ex- I, I was sharing with um, Jim, who kind of knows somebody that did give me the MacBook. He, 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 he knows the guy pretty well, you know. Um, and I was sharing this with Jim. If you want to, um, if, you wanted, if you're looking for some software and you want to get some software, you just want to play around a little bit, it's pretty neat because you can you can you can get the ESV Bible, and it's tagged with Strong's. That'll mean something to you. Um, and what that means is, like, it, okay, you have the ESV, like Psalm one thirty eight, and you can take your cursor and you can go across and you can triple click on a word, and in a search window on the bottom, it'll tell you what the original language word, what the word is in the original language, and it'll give you a transliteration of the word, uh, and it'll give you a basic definition. It doesn't really give you the wind, a, a lot of the range. It doesn't give you a lot of the stuff that some of the other. They want you to buy the other lexicons, of course. They want you because if you get a full fledged accordance, I think their I think their top line model is three thousand dollars. I think you know. And this is why I haven't bought a computer is because I know one. I've been wanting to switch to Mac, and I'm, and the reason I've never switched to Mac is because of BibleWorks. But now that BibleWorks has been out of business now for a while. That's no longer a thing, but when it comes time, when I eventually do make the, the choice, I knew the software was going to be more than the computer itself, you know? So I wanted to take my time and do some research. But this accordance, now I'll show you what I want to, I want to explain to you what I managed to do with the $19.25 um, starter download. Um, here we have the word Elohim in our, in our text. And okay, what is meant by the gods in this text? Well, to answer that question, you first, you go to the original word. The original word is Elohim, and you begin to look at the range of meaning of Elohim. What does Elohim mean? Well, it can mean God, right? And most of the time, that is what it means. God with a capital G. That is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God who created the heavens and the earth, in distinction from all other gods. So most of the time it means God, like uh, God of Abraham is Elohe Avraham. So here you can hear Elohim in that. So I wanted to do, and, and the rest of the range of meaning is it can mean mighty ruler or mighty one. Um, it, can mean, um, uh, it can mean king, if you will, of course. You can see it's kind of related to that. It can mean God's like the gods of the nations, if you will, uh, the false gods of the world. It can also mean angels, 
So how do we determine what's what here? Well, one of the things I wanted to do with this $19.25 program, I wanted to see, okay, can we, with this basic package, determine how many times in the King James Version, for example, is Elohim translated God, capital G-O-D? Well, I, I was able to do that with that, which I was pretty impressed. If memory is serving me correctly, don't hold me to this because I'm clumsily using a software that I'm not that familiar with. I could do this in a couple of seconds with BibleWorks and give you a definitive answer on these things because I've been using BibleWorks for 20 years. But in accordance, I believe that the total number of usages of Elohim in the Bible is like 2,900 plus times. Okay, how many of those 2,900 plus times is the word God? If I did it right and I got the right and I'm remembering correctly, it's 2,613. So 2,613 times, it's God, capital G-O-D. The remaining 300 and so odd times, it's going to be the rest. So for example, if you go to um, uh, Abraham and uh, I think Genesis 23, Sarah passes away, and Abraham's looking for a burial plot. He approaches the Hittites, and he said, I want to buy a burial plot for my wife. And the Hittites refer to Abraham as a mighty prince. In the King James translation, that is, you are a mighty prince. Um, the word used in the original for mighty is Elohim. Elohim. That word is used to describe Abraham. Now, in the ESV, if you look it up, it'll say, you are a prince of God. And it says, and that sounds like, wow, that sounds like two different things going on. Actually, no, you, you think it through a little bit, and you'll see it's not all, it's not all that different. It's saying the same thing. Um, so you have a mighty one, uh, mighty, if you will. From that, you could get kings, those who seem to be influential, if you will, in the world. Those who seem to be powerful uh, in the world can be referred to uh, with the word Elohim. Um, also, uh, you can get angels uh, from that. Um, if you think of Psalm 8, for example, where the psalmist says, I think in verse 4, he says, What is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you should care for him? You've made him a little lower than the Elohim. In the King James translation, you've made him a little lower than the angels. ESV, you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. So here we have heavenly beings. And hang with me a little bit. I know this is tedious, but, you know, it's, it's like... It's like you got a tour guide in front of you, and he's saying, okay, the hill's a little steep. There's some rocks on it. There's some slippery roots. But if you get to the top, you'll forget about all that because at the top, there's such a great view. You're going to love it. I promise you, you're going to love this when we put this all together. Um, gods. This can be translated gods, just as it is in uh, verse 1 of chapter of uh, Psalm 138. Before the gods, I sing your praise. Laban, some of you are familiar with the story of Jacob. Jacob flees from Laban. He grabs, his, his, uh, he grabs Lee and Rachel and his stuff, and off he goes. He's fleeing from uh, Laban. Laban catches up to him, and Laban accuses Jacob of stealing his gods, if you will, stealing his Elohim. So there we could... We could say, okay, false gods. There we could even say idols. We could put idols in our range of meaning. Uh, so you can see 
there's a pretty big range of meaning that we have here that we could associate with this line. Now comes the question, how do we determine what it is? What is it? Um, and I like to take you through this some, uh, once in a while because it, you, I want you to do it. You, you want to be able to do this yourself because, as you, the, the, believe it or not, you can. Uh, as you start to learn some of these tools, you can actually do a lot of this stuff yourself, and it's so rewarding when it happens. Um, how do we determine one or the other? Well, most modern translators, um, they will translate verse 1 as the gods of the nations, the false gods of the nations, if you will. Alec Montier, Boyles, Van Gameren, all of them, they come to the, the conclusion that what's in view here are the false gods of the world. Okay, Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was very emphatic. He said, certainly it means this. It means the false gods of the world. Um, okay. So what would be the application of that? Well, the application of that would be the psalmist is saying, Lord, I thank you with my whole heart, and I proclaim this thankfulness before all of the false gods of this world. I will not shirk back from proclaiming your thanksgiving, uh, even in the midst of all of the false gods of this entire world. Does that make sense? Um, some interpreters, older interpreters, would interpret this as God. It's Elohim. So if we take that interpretation, then what the psalmist is saying, Oh, Lord, I proclaim thanksgiving before thee. I, I proclaim thanksgiving before you. It's before you I proclaim this thanksgiving. Um, others will take this as kings, Calvin um, Calvin approved of that interpretation of kings in his day. He said, many of you will, 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 will see this as kings, and to that I don't, uh, I don't disagree. Uh, he had another interpretation he favored, which we're going to get to in a moment. But if that's the interpretation, then before all those who are in places of influence, all those who are influential, uh, and it is true, a lot of times um, we have a tendency to shirk back and not proclaim the gospel before uh, th that particular company because typically folks that are in high positions of leadership aren't necessarily interested in the gospel. I don't want to stereotype them. You know, having worked at the courthouse for a number of years, you know, I, I got the opportunity to share the gospel with some of the elected officials in Hancock County. And, I, I, you know, I wasn't shunned. I wasn't, you know, they, they would give me an audience um, but sometimes we have a tendency to shirk back, don't we? Uh, will you share the gospel with your boss, for example? Will you share your bo the gospel with your boss's boss or his boss's boss? Sometimes we have a tendency to shirk back in those situations. Uh, and if that's the interpretation, then what does the psalmist say? I will not shirk back before kings and monarchs. I will proclaim, I proclaim your thanks before all of them. But there's another one that I think is so interesting. And I, and, and now we're, I think now we're, we're, we're through the rocks and we're through the slippery roots and we're up over the hillside. And now we're, a, come and look at this view for a minute because this is a great view. We could put angels in there or heavenly beings. So we could read it this way. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart before the heavenly beings. I sing your praise. Now, why, what, how does that work? Well, um, if you notice in verse 2, the psalmist says, I bow down toward your holy temple. 
Now, the idea here is uh, of one laying prostrate on the floor. You don't necessarily have to be in that posture, but your heart's in that posture. Does that make sense? You could be standing and like many of the ancients would stand like this and pray, and your heart could very much be prostrate. Your heart could very much be uh, on the floor, if you will. It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual posture. Or you could be, uh, it, it would be possible to be laying prostrate and your heart not be that way. Uh, but the idea is whether you're laying prostrate or whether you're standing or however you are, your heart is prostrate before the Lord. And he says, I bow down toward your holy temple. Keep in mind as we read the Psalter, we're in the Old Testament administration of the covenant of grace. I know that's a mouthful. You say, what? The old administration of the covenant of grace. Okay, Jesus hasn't come yet. He hasn't, he hasn't shed his blood to ratify the new covenant yet, right? And uh, wh where is God represented under this administration? He is represented. Where does God meet with people, I should say? He meets with people in the temple, doesn't he? That's where he meets with his people, is in the temple. So the psalmist is facing the temple, the place where God meets with his people. But more specifically, within the temple and within the Holy of Holies is a certain object. And in our study of Exodus, we're going to get to this as we're studying Exodus. You know, you read through Exodus and the, the narratives is great, keeps you on the edge of your seat. The contest between Moses and God, if you will, and Pharaoh keeps you on your seat. You have the Song of Moses and they go out into the wilderness and you read about that. You get the Ten Commandments and you, you read about him fouling up there in uh, Exodus 32 and then uh, Moses intercedes for them and then you get through all that and then you get to all these temple furnishings and you say, what in the world do I do with this? Well, that's what we're going to cover when we eventually get to that. What do we do with all this? But I'll give you a preview is when the Ark of the Covenant is being made. What is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant during that administration symbolized the very presence of God, didn't it? And the Ark was made of acacia wood and it had a lid on it. And what was on top of the lid? Anyone? The cherubim fashioned out of gold. And who were the cherubim? They're angels. Aha. I would submit that angels are in this context. As he looks to the temple, to the presence of God, and if you're going to look to the presence of God, these mighty angels are never going to be far away. And this brings us into, and now we're now, come, come and take a look at this view, because this is some view. Take a look at this view with me. A lot of times we don't think about this when we gather on Sunday morning for worship. A lot of times we come in here carrying who knows what, and we look at each other, and sometimes you can almost think, well, here we are, it's just us, and we're hoping God will meet us this morning. But in actuality, when we are worshiping together, we are joining in not just with one another, but we are joining in the worship with God. And we're like, okay, we got that. But we're also joining in the worship with the saints who have gone before us. Oh, yeah, we got that. But we're also joining in the worship of the powerful angels. Have you thought about that? The cherubim whose voices caused the temple to shake as they proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're joining them in our worship. 
of God this morning, we're joining them right now. Sometimes people think of worship, it's singing, it's the music, you know, and that's a real anemic view of worship. If we think it's just the singing, we have an anemic view of worship. We are worshiping right now as we study and we fix our minds and our hearts on God's Word. We're, we're worshiping, and as we're presently worshiping right now, we're not alone. We are joining in the presence of angels So in this context, the psalmist could be saying, Lord, I give you thanks. I give you thanks with my whole heart before the cherubim and the seraphim and the heavenly beings who are worshiping you. I give you praise. But there's one other. There's one more. It also could be said that before this angelic realm of darkness, I am giving you praise for thanksgiving. That would be uncovered with the false gods, wouldn't it? So it could also be said that before the entire cosmos, I'm giving you thanks. Now, as we move this thing up to close here, what should we choose? And i, I got to tell you, as I've been studying this all week, and I've been seeing how some, Spurgeon, a great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said it most certainly means this. And others will say, no, it most certainly means this. No, it most certainly means the false gods of the world. No, it certainly means angels. Ah, it can mean kings. It can mean this. I can't see anything in the context myself where it couldn't mean all of the above. I love it when you don't have to choose and you can say, I'll just take one of all. I don't see, like, perhaps, perhaps in the balance of things, I think they're pretty evenly balanced, but perhaps in the balance of things, maybe the pointer is moving a little bit more one way or a little bit more the other way, but I think it's vague. Here's a principle that's really helpful when you're studying the Psalms. When it's vague, it's usually vague to offer you a wider application. For example, in the laments, we have lots of laments. The psalmist offers his complaint before the Lord. Sometimes in those laments, we know what the historical context of that, we know what the historical context is of what's happened in the psalmist's life in order for it that brings him to prayer before God. Sometimes we know what that is, but very often we don't know what that is. And that's where the interpreters, oh, they, they, they'll say, if it's a Psalm of David, they'll say, oh, this was when he fled from Absalom. That kind of becomes a catch-all for them all. If you start reading the Psalm, you'll say, oh, of course, it's when David fled from Absalom. But we don't know. When, when the context isn't stated, we don't know. And that's not a bad thing that we don't know, because I think what's going on is the Holy Spirit is inspiring the psalmist to write this so that the application can be wider. I think that principle is alive and well right here. I think we should keep this application good and wide. And and as we begin this season of Thanksgiving, let's offer our Thanksgiving, if you will, before God. Let's offer our Thanksgiving before the gods of this world, the false gods of this world, and the dark angelic beings, the, the demonic realm that inspires all of this false worship. Let's offer our praise before all of that. Let's offer our praise before those who seem influential. Let's offer our praise before the angels. Let's join them and offer our praise before the angels as we enter into this this season of thanksgiving. And what are we praising God for? Look at verse 2. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness 
his steadfast love. God made a promise to Abraham that in him, in his offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's my favorite one, by the way. Because how is that fulfilled? We all know the answer, don't we? It's fulfilled in Christ Jesus. How many families are represented here this morning? I don't know offhand, probably 10. Here in Chester, West Virginia, 6,000 miles removed from the Holy Land in 2,000 years, and maybe, well, in terms of Abraham, 4,000 years removed from that promise, and here we are worshiping God. He is a steadfast, promise-keeping God. He has given us a Savior, hasn't He? Who shed His blood on the cross for the express purpose of taking our sins away so that he could gather us to follow him, right? And what are we doing this morning? Jesus has promised to build his church. And here we are gathered on this. It would be easy to stay in bed this morning, wouldn't it? Sort of, right? You, we, but you couldn't do it, could you? Why? Because you had to be here, didn't you? Why did you have to be here? Because you were being forced? Mm-mm. Because you wanted to be. Why did you want to be here? Because of the steadfast love of Almighty God to worship, right? You can see God's operating. And what have we been doing since we've been here? We've been offering words of thanksgiving, words of praise, words. Where, and who have we been doing it before? We're doing it before everything. We're doing it before God. We're doing it before the false gods of this world. We're doing it before the angelic beings. We're doing it before rulers. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Um, we do thank you. It's a cold morning. We're cold. And, but, Father, our hearts are warmed as our bodies are even shivering, Father. My, I'm starting to shiver Yet our hearts are so warmed, Father. They're so warmed by the gospel. They're so warmed by your presence in our lives and in our hearts. And, Father, we thank you, Lord. We offer thanksgiving to you, Father. And we want to continue this thanksgiving as we move through the Christmas season, Father, the Advent season, where we celebrate you making good on your covenant promises to come and redeem us where you do the unthinkable, you step into time, space, and history in the person of Jesus Christ, and you walk among us to gather us together to make us your people and to be our God. And Father, we thank you as we enter into this great time. Father, it's an exciting time, and we desire to, to look at the music that you've given us, for it's such a celebration that in your inspired word, you've given us a number of songs. We look at we look at one this morning that we will return to. If you're willing, we will return to that in a few weeks. But we look at many songs as we go through, four songs in a row as we go through Luke's gospel. And Father, we pray that you will bless us as we take this journey uh, through these songs to celebrate and to give thanks to you, O oh Father, for the greatest blessing that we could ever receive, and that is Christ Jesus. We thank you in his precious name. Amen.